This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear Phil Collins on the stereo. So when you're in the Chicago area, head over to the Underground Retrocade for that authentic arcade experience, where if you practice, really, really practice, someday you'll be able to stand up and say, I just got a high score against all odds. So take a look at me now at the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Mike McGinnis. And I'm Carrington Vanston. And this is No Quarter, a weekly podcast about video games. That was short. Short and sweet, because otherwise I just ramble on and on. It was sweet because we're recording on Valentine's Day. Well, and it's been, man, it's been like a week and a half, two weeks, I think, just because of the the way the recording schedule worked out. I mean, the listeners at home won't notice, but, you know, for us, it's- we've aged. Yeah, we've aged quite a bit. It's Um, It's been a hard week. And unfortunately, we had to spend it with, well, this week's game. This week's game is the best game we have. Oh, no, I can't even do it. No. <laughs> we're, we're bringing you another stinker. <laughs> the game we played so you don't have to, unless you want a free pop. <laughs> well, you could do that. Um, I don't think it's the worst game we've played, but it has problems, and I have problems with it. There's, there's so much disappointment. You know, there's, there's the great game concept, and it's just a disappointing execution. Serious my, potential. I agree. Yeah. Serious potential. Great idea. I was really just let could, down. did not pull it off. Sega, what's up with that? What's up with that? Um, should we do feedback? Sure. Why oh, not? I think we got news and stuff too. Yeah, we actually things to talk about, to delay talking about. <laughs> we actually do have a couple of news items or um, uh, feedback. Which you want to do first? Feedback, feedback or news? Yeah, do feedback. Okay. Feedback. Um, Wake me when you're done. We talked about Strider a couple weeks ago. We're still hearing from it, so I picked out a couple of those. Victor from Ten Pence, he wrote in to say, Hi, chaps, because he's British, you know, so he says things like chaps. <laughs> um, I think we must be mind-linked or something. Sean and I were talking on our most recent podcast about OutRun, and he wanted to do it for our next featured game. But I poo-pooed his idea, I love that expression, as we Gross. didn't have analog controls. But we spoke about making ourselves a control box each with a spinner and some buttons for analog spinner games, Un- Uncanny, huh? Because Mike, you and I talked about that recently. I'm just reminding you because in his next sentence, he says, oh, and if Mike is reading this, you probably don't remember talking about this, <laughs> but you did at the end of the Strider episode. Carrington is right too. Strider is meh. I never saw the appeal, but a lot of people do. And an original PCB goes for 200 pounds plus over here. I always thought the sword slashy bit looked like a graphical glitch. Cheers, Lord Victor of the Tenpence. He says he's had his peership since <laughs> his last email. Nice. Thank you, Victor. Congratulations on your peership. Now, on the other side of the Strider fence, we get probably more email that's like this one from Monty. And it says, um, it was painful hearing the criticism of what I consider to be a perfect arcade game. You gave it a balanced review, plenty of positives, but to me, the criticism was like a supermodel looking in a makeup mirror and (laughs) agonizing over her large pores. I played this with a group of friends at Aladdin's Castle in the Leighton Hills Mall located in Utah. In uh, 1989, nothing was cooler than ninjas of the future battling robotic mm-hmm. apes to an 11-year-old. 
uh, generic wasn't even a brief thought. Groundbreaking, revolutionary, incredible. Those are the words we used. This was bleeding-edge technology. Then, the Sega Genesis had an almost perfect arcade port in 1990, which blew our minds. We can play arcade games perfectly at home. Altered Beast, Ghouls and Ghosts, Strider... These games made the NES look like a baby's toy. Cue Back to the Future 2 music. Carrington only played 30 minutes of Strider. Only playing 30 minutes of Strider is like watching the first five minutes of the original Star Wars at the theater opening day and then walking out. Though, yours and Mike's review is always a great reminder of how generational arcade games are. (laughs) One game Strider is another gamer's bubbles. Thanks, Monty. I thought that was actually really good feedback and is, is pretty typical of the reaction we have had. Um, to the fact that I, in particular, wasn't a fan of Strider. Uh, two thoughts on that. One is hey, that it was- new record. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Personal best. <laughs> uh, the first is that it wasn't Carrington's fault. Um, I don't remember anything, including what game we're playing next week, um, which is why I don't remember anything that Vic- uh, Victor referenced in his email. Sorry, Victor, I have no idea what you were talking about. Um, and the other thing is that the feedback that that Monty gave us uh, seems to be the people who love it. Um, first, you know, the, the, how dare you Carrington outrage, um, which is funny. So that's fine. But then they go on to tell <laughs> us how, what made the game great was a, was a, a console port of the game, which we didn't play. So we well, I think experience it's, more... its awesomeness, but uh, several of those emails went, went right to, Oh, it's, this is a wonderful game. And then we saw it on, on, um, whatever that stupid console is. Genesis. And that was wonderful. So. so you were never a Genesis guy? No. I wasn't really either. I, I sort of leaned more Nintendo in that period, although I wasn't heavily in that exact period. I sort of got out of consoling and then came back to it. So I wasn't huge into either, but definitely wasn't wasn't leaning towards Genesis. But most people sort of more right in to say that the game is amazing. And it also happened to have an amazing home version, which I think sort of extended the life and love of that game. I disagree. Just because I'm being disagreeable. <laughs> okay, I do think people write in to say that I disagree with them because I don't think it's a good game. <laughs> I've, I've only I've only actually uh, owned two uh, two consoles, um, at least during the well, time I contest to guess which one. <laughs> right during the time that, that they were Fairchild, fresh on the market, and, um, <laughs> and Pong. Neither of those. No. Um, I did own a Sega. It was the, uh, the Dreamcast. You picked you back to winter there, huh? Oh yeah, yeah. I did. Well, I, the only reason I had that was because uh, when when uh, the Dreamcast was discontinued, Amazon was selling them for I think like forty dollars. I was like, yeah, why not? So I was okay, actually now I'm going to guess your second one. Mm-hmm. You bet heavily on the 3DO. No, you still play it a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm betting big money on that. The one. CDI. No. <laughs> Excellent. No. Now the other one was uh, the the Wii, and that was because Wii. my wife wanted to play games with me. So. I dug the Wii. The Wii got a, a bad rap, but I think it was really super fun. I, I, I like the Wii U. I've got one of those. So I don't play it that much. But I dig the things that take advantage of its weird control scheme. I don't like the new Wii controller that big... Like, like, how did this become a console podcast? I know. I was about to say but console. Talk. I used to mock the original Xbox and how large and silly the controller was. And if I had known in the future <laughs> what the Wii U was going to come out with, like, come on, thing is a brick. It's just silly. But the original Wii controllers, I thought, were a revelation and really fun. Not great for FPS or whatever. Um, but if you want to play tennis, come on, super awesome. Sure, absolutely. I, it's it's Wii tennis and bowling. I mean, 
We tennis and bowling. Okay, let's let's get back to feedback. Let's talk mm. about arcade games. I like those better. Uh, Jimmy too. Jimmy G wrote in. He says Jimmy G again. A hint about playing Tron on emulation. Uh, I picked this one because it relates to console stuff. I found using a gamepad with shoulder buttons and programming the shoulder buttons to emulate the spinner is the best workaround for the arcade controls. Oh, and Sean Courtney turned me on to your show. Him and I have been friends for 25 years. Not only do we have a fascination with old video games, but we're also fanatics about grilling, especially on Weber brand <laughs> grills. We're snobs. That's like the weirdest email. Okay, first of <laughs> all, how can one be... I would say how come I'd be snobs about grilling, but I think probably people can be super into anything. Oh, yeah. As a guy who doesn't really grill, I do not understand at all. It's a whole world of stuff where people get into the big green egg and things, and I do not understand. It's just a different world than I live in. But the idea of the gamepad with the shoulder buttons, we've had a couple of people recommend that sort of approach. My problem is the idea of using any sort of gamepad handheld controller of any sort to play arcade games just is too removed from the arcade experience, which for me is very much wrapped up in the idea of an actual arcade cabinet. That's the way I want to play them. That said, I do play at home on other, like I'm playing in name and things. And so it's not a real, real cabinet, but I, I, I want it to be <laughs> controls. Controls are important for me. Like I like the, I want it to be like an arcade control, but Shoulder buttons and that sort of thing is another approach to take for things like Tron, for things like um, driving games, can get a good analog controller. So we talk about using a spinner and adapting that to be a steering wheel. This would be another approach. I think it's just better to get her, just start collecting as many arcade cabinets as possible and just have one for every control scheme. Sounds good to me. I'm in. <laughs> that, that's my, my new decision. Where do I sign up? Um, at the bank, probably. Yeah. <laughs> So somebody, um, I think first-time writer, first-time listener named Quinn wrote in. I don't know if you know who he or she is. Mm, never <laughs> saying, heard Hey, guys. Regarding the slot machine thing at the end of Swimmer, this is called a match mechanic. And it's actually a pinball thing that dates all the way back to the electromechanical Pinball, machines. get off the show. This is actually good feedback. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Begrudgingly, every time she writes it, she schools us. Oh, she always slips so, that pinball jab in there, too. No, Let's but she's right. She's she right. Is, she's got she's, it. Yeah. She's so smarter she than says, both of us. As you surmise, it is not strictly random. The match frequency is configurable in the operator settings, and it's generally set pretty low. If you match, you get an entire free game. So that answers another question we had had. The reason the match is done against the last significant non-zero digit of your score is due to the way mechanical score reels worked in electromechanical pinball machines. But the game mechanic has persisted in that form ever since. Well done, Quinn. I even tried to look it up and figure that out and my, my Google <sighs> foo wasn't strong enough. I think you just gotta, just gotta know this stuff. <laughs> just now, now I know. Innately have that knowledge. The more you know. Uh, Ken wrote in to say, greetings. I would hereby like to request that you review the 1982 Cinematronics game Zizix. I think I'm pronouncing that right. It's Z-Z-Y-Z-Z-Y-X-X. I'm going to say Zizix. Not a bad game, but mainly I just want to hear you say Zizix for 45 minutes. <laughs> thank you for your consideration. I have noticed. Thank you, Ken. I have noticed that many of our listeners write in to basically punk us. <laughs> say, of course Play they this do. game. It's awful. Play this game. You can't pronounce <laughs> it. It's like, you guys are mean, man. <laughs> Yeah. In fact, I think the game we're playing this week is one that was recommended to us, probably. It was, yeah. All the games <sighs> on the list uh, come from recommendations. So, audience, you have no one to blame but yourselves. <laughs> and we have no one to blame but you either. Go feel bad about yourselves and then come back and listen. 
and keep listening. Uh, Adam wrote in to write uh, to say rather greetings, Mike and Carrington. I've been listening to your Adam. podcast for <laughs> greetings, Adam. I've been listening to your podcast for a few weeks now, and I've reached episode eighty nine. My goodness, people just come to us and just gorge on these things. As you both already know, your podcast is most impressive, so I will refrain Uh-oh. from showering you both with phrase and praise and admiration. What? No, although All I right. do hope that this podcast continues for the next 25 years or so, at least until I retire. <laughs> I am a child of the 80s, so I grew up playing 90s arcade games. I never knew many of the games you discuss existed because I focused mainly on the newer arcade games of the mid to late 90s. I've been playing games you discuss in MAME, and I have really had an excellent time, particularly the vector-based games. I'm a huge fan of the Vectrex, and I noticed in the arcade draft episode, Carrington chose Ripoff as his fifth pick. I really enjoyed playing this on the Vectrex, and until now, I was unaware that this was an arcade Port. Thanks for the continued diligence in podcasting and shout outs of other podcasts. Your podcast ins- has inspired me to try and start one of my own about Ooh. the Vectrex. Now, I don't think he started it, so he didn't send us a link, but Adam, thank you for the feedback. And when you do start it up, write in again, give us a link, and we'll throw it in the show notes because I love to promote other podcasts, especially yeah. if they're game related. And the Vectrex, come on, one of the best systems ever. Not one of the two that Mike owned, but still a very <laughs> good one. I like this feedback in particular because we get a bunch from people who came to arcades later than us. Like, they're born in the 80s. I was in high school in the 80s. The idea mm. that people were born in the 80s blows me. People, I think, now who were born in 2000 are in high school or something. I am so old. I am like the mountains and, and the rain. <laughs> I have existed for all time. I shall always be here. Um, it's crazy, crazy. But I like the fact that we have listeners who have a very different perspective from me. Because for me, the arcades kind of started to die in the late 80s. They went... On one path, and I went a different one, and it was all fighters, and I was less interested. So I have very little experience with the games of 1989, 1990, and into the 90s. And it was a different arcade. It was a different sort of gaming. And it's just, it's not the arcades of my youth. And so I like that people listen who come from sort of that world, and maybe we're introducing them to some 80s games. But I've enjoyed the fact that people who liked games after I gave up on the arcades have written in a lot of times to recommend games from the 90s for mm-hmm. us to yep. check out. Won't necessarily talk about them in, on this podcast because it really is sort of an 80s and earlier podcast, but it gives me games to just try and play. And many of them have been, to my, you know, my taste, completely generic fighters like i don't understand why this is different than the other one i I can't hear it you kids and your rock and roll but um it has introduced me to some good ones though so i i do appreciate people writing in that that you know came to arcades later and younger young whippersnappers with something to teach this old dog and i'm sure eventually i'll be able to twist your twist your arm to at least do maybe like mortal Kombat or street fighter or something mortal Kombat. Just because of their importance as, uh, importance as arcade games. Yeah, oh, I think we should. It was Mortal Kombat 80s, or is that 90s? I think it was 93, 94. <sighs> yeah, to me. Let's do Street Fighter. Def- <laughs> well, and like you, I, you know, but by the by the late 80s, early 90s, I had my Apple II, and that's kind of where my my uh, hobby focus went, and the arcades had kind of died off in my area. And so those those later games, I didn't stumble over those until I was well into my 20s and my reflexes were already falling apart and I was an old man and not interested to get off my lawn. <laughs> okay, I got, I got one more feedback that we have to do. Then we can get to the news, but this, okay. one's, this one's great. Somebody wrote in about Fingers Malloy. Ah, you might remember that was on I the do. poster. <laughs> so Fingers awesome. Malloy, the arcade poster, um, which, was, which was super awesome and so funny. And it's when we were talking about the game... Um, 
What was the game? Some game that we played recently. Remember, our audience is currently shouting Pulsar. <laughs> I think it was I'm, Pulsar. Here the email clients being started up. Dear sir or ma'am, I am very angry. <laughs> but you will remember that there was a fellow on whatever <laughs> a pod, uh, whatever poster that I was. I do vaguely that remember was, um, this. Yes, Fingers Malloy. Maybe it was Raston. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just I'm just basically throwing out names for games right now. <laughs> so. And it was Fingers Malloy. And he had that, we talked about the poster because it was such a funny, iconic look, you know, because he was super 80s and he had his super 80s friends gathered around him and his super 80s gal hanging on him. And it was just awesome. So we got an email that just blew my mind and it had a photo attached that we're going to put in the show notes. And it was written in by John. Thank you, John. He spotted this and he just wrote, did Fingers Malloy grow up to be Will Arnett, it's him. I, I swear oh it's Will Arnett. And if you look at the photo. I totally of, didn't oh, even think of that. But and it's, you can't unsee it. <laughs> I swear Will wow. Arnett from, you know. Uh, Arrested Development. He was on 30 Rock for a while. Yeah, Lots of things. He's Fingers Malloy. I swear he's Fingers Malloy. If yeah. not, it's his older brother or something. Creepy older it's, uncle remarkable how much he looks like fingers below yeah i love it yep. great photo it'll be in the show notes everyone should run don't walk and head over and check it out I'll haunt my dreams yeah amazing john well spotted that was fantastic mate totally made my day when we got that um so you got stuff for feedback i'm interested in news because you said you had news and i'm uh, excited about news we don't, we don't always do news but when we do it's news um <laughs> The, Wal- slogan. <laughs> the Walton Tribune.com has a nice article on a, a local um, retro arcade that's starting up there called Flashback Games. Uh, and it is in Georgia. I scrolled off the screen here. Let me scroll, 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 scroll. Where's the copyright? And they are located in, yes, Monroe, Georgia. So if you're in the area, go check that out. It looks like they have everything from, um, okay, so like, a lot of these, I think, are JAMA cabinets or MAME cabinets because they've got, like, one machine has every Street Fighter on it. Um, and then they have the standard older cabinets, Joust, Galaga's, Super Mario Brothers, et cetera, et cetera. So check that out. Um, up next. So were you reading the, the Walton Tribune? I was reading <laughs> See, some of how it. Did you, how did you find this? I have the article up in front of me. But why were you reading the Walton Tribune? I have a, a Google alert for arcade news. Oh, that's well, cheap. Well, once I once I figured out how to filter out all the arcade fire stuff, grumble, grumble, grumble. Um, <laughs> there's actually some good things that show up in my inbox every now and then. Um, and this one actually, you told me about the Taito code, Taito Taito code, over at SuddenDesu.net. Uh, there's an interesting article about how we all know about the Konami code and and how you could use that to cheat um, in a bunch of their games. Well, apparently there was one in. A lot of the title games, uh, beginning around 1988. And it's this big kind of dance that you have to do with your, you know, I think you have to hold down the service button while it starts up. And so you you do have to have access. It's not something you can just do with a joystick and a quarter, I think. Uh, but yeah, wow, that's pretty cool. It's neat. According to the article, the first person to spot it probably, at least to publish on the internet, was probably the cutting room floor, a site we seem to talk about every Wonderful week. Wonderful site. Should sponsor us. Yeah, totally. And the idea is you to get at this, it's difficult even if you have access to the inside of the cabinet. So it's not the kind of thing that the general public can walk up and do, which is probably why it wasn't discovered earlier, because you have to hold down the, the service coin button 
which is basically inside the cabinet, and then reset it. But if you're on MAME, it can be easily done. So the, on MAME, the default would be to press 9, which is the service coin button, and then F3 is the default for soft reset. And then you'll get a service error, but then you let go of the, the service button, the let go of the 9, press uh, player one, insert coin, player one, insert coin, player one, insert coin, then service coin, then player one, insert coin. <laughs> so it'd be like one, 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 nine, one. And then you, it pops up a round select. And so you can pick which round of the game oh. um, you want to start on. You can jump forward. And this happens and works in most Taito games. Hmm. So it's probably put in there for developers who would have access to it much easier than even on a cabinet. But it does work in MAME and on original cabinets if you can get at it. So right. pretty cool. So- yeah, so, okay, so if you do have the cabinet, that means after you hold the service uh, button down until the switch error shows up, then you have to do start, 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 service, start. So that's a lot of reaching around and button pushing. Um, but, yeah, it looks really easy to do on MAME, and as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to go play some Taito games. Or Taito games. Taito, Taito, whatever. <laughs> and finally, another news article that you threw my way, uh, Carrington. Uh, <laughs> Behind the Hair, Nine Things I Learned, Hanging Out with Billy Mitchell, The King of Kong by Preston Burt. Okay, great Um, headline or greatest headline? (laughs) Greatest headline. Yeah, totally. Greatest headline or greatest headline? Uh, It's a tongue-in-cheek, very funny, quick-read article. It's over on, uh, what is it, Paste Magazine, and we'll have a link in the show notes. And uh, you'll kind of, I don't know, like, so, so when Billy was out here, in Denver at the one-up for the King of Kong a couple of years ago, we spent like 10 or 15 minutes kind of hanging out and talking with him. And the guy is just really, really charming and, and oozing charisma. He's a fun, funny, intelligent kind of guy. And, and uh, so it doesn't surprise me at all that – because this article is written with his cooperation and his, um, and his assistance. And it's things like um, you know he doles out fantastic parenting advice and he has hot sauce rules. And, uh, and he's an imposing beast of a man. <laughs> and it's not a mullet. <laughs> and apparently he has never actually seen the entire King of Kong, which considering how he, it painted him, it doesn't surprise me. Because if you watch that, he comes off as this colossal jerk. I mean, just completely all the way around. He's just not that way. Funny thing is, when we started this, we were talking about this before we recorded, actually. When we started this podcast, I knew nothing about arcade games. Go back and listen to our first episodes. Like nothing at all. You asked me to be on the show. I'm like, sure, I can do it. I can do it. I'll talk about anything. I will happily be on anybody's podcast about anything. I just like to podcast. Honestly, I'm very open. If people want to be on the show, I'm like, sure. Why not? Pick, pick a subject. You got a co-host. I love doing it. And I was like, okay, I'm in. Before we started doing this show, I had never even heard of the name Billy Mitchell. Like, I come from outside this world completely. First time I ever heard about him was when I watched The King of Kong. Yeah, me too. And I was like, sure, I accept all this at face value. It's a film. Why would they lie to me? (laughs) It's it's a documentary. It must be true. It completely colored my view of all of it. But I have subsequently turned around a lot on, on that movie, on him. And and I see the the you know the Billy Mitchell character versus the Billy Mitchell person as very different things. I think of him almost like a a wrestling superstar. <laughs> like and I and I can dislike the the the, the, the heel Billy Mitchell. He is the he, exactly. He's a he's the heel character who happens to have the same name as the human who plays right. him. Um, that's a good analogy. Yeah. That's totally how I see it now, and I think he embraces it, and I think he has has worked it, and I say all the all the better for him. So I like it. Yeah, so good. And, I, and I, anyway, this behind the hair. Come on, <laughs> it had me at the at the title. It's like how awesome is that? 
Yeah, uh, fun read. Go check it out. I will. Don't, I did. Don't check out this game, please, please, please. Um. Well, let's talk about it. We I have guess... a game to talk about this week. Let's dive in and discuss Mike McGinnis's <sighs> new top favorite game. Oh, top no. five. Mm-mm. There's even a five nope, in the title. I deny it. Liar. Love this game. This game is 005 by Sega from 1982. Mm. Old school, baby. That's it. Uh, uh, Adam, listener, Adam who wrote in. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to teach you about old school and how amazing games used to be. Uh, it's not the week for that. Uh, so much potential. I mean, the idea behind the game is so great, and it's just so badly executed. What is the idea, Mike? Tell our listeners. What's the Why idea? Why, Carrington and listeners, too, you play a, a uh, spy, and you, um, your mission is to go into different buildings and collect briefcases and take them to the helicopter. And while you're doing this, uh, Police, I guess, little yellow policemen uh, chase you around and try to catch you. Uh, you are armed only with a canister of sleeping gas, so you don't actually kill anyone or shoot anyone. And it feels like a game of, you know, of speed and run in there and grab, um, get to the helicopter as soon as possible. But it's actually uh, more of a, a stealth game. And, and um, you know, like when, so, so for whatever reason, you you have you can go into a, a warehouse with a forklift or a skating rink. I don't know why. I have no idea why those are the two <laughs> two types of building. Every time it's either warehouse or skating rink. Yeah, and it's you know if you go into the warehouse, it's it's really cool because it's a dark warehouse and the the police are kind of wandering around in there and they have their flashlights and you can see them sweeping around and, and looking for you. And as soon as they as soon as the light hits you, they come after you at full speed. But you can stealthily sneak your way through or you can try to gas them and, and get away that way. But uh, um, unfortunately, uh, it just didn't come together. Right? They're, each level is a little bit different, you know, and I get that they were going for variety and interesting stuff. And I'm sorry, Sega, it's crap. I like – let's focus on what I like. <laughs> we do a little <laughs> bit of that because I also have some serious issues with I like the, the button that they have on the control panel. That's kind of cool <laughs> to push that. I like the fact that they were doing four scenes. I mean, even in fact, the splash screen, yeah. when it comes up on the game, it's a very basic yellow page with some blue writing that reads a game in four scenes, Sega's new 005. Yeah. And um, which, that made me think, and something we should, I'd like to come back to at the end of the episode, made me think about, well, what about when the game is no longer new? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I like to put that on there. And I think that is indicative of a certain type of mentality. But anyway, um, the street scene, like the scene that you you start with when you're outside, um, you're going to select the warehouses, and I thought that was okay because you know you're gonna there's bad guys there. You can select from three locations on the left or three locations on the right, and there's little stun guns in front of some of them. The two that are closest to you on the left and right, let's say there's, and it'll always be one of them is a skating rink, one's a warehouse. The, the mm-hmm. two closest will have no stun guns. The two that are next further away from you will have a stun gun in front of it, which means if you choose to go in there, it's a little harder to get to because you you now have to risk more of this area. But your stun gun will you get like a second one. So it shoots it shoots farther. And if you go all the way up to the top ones, then you get two stun guns in front of those. And so your stun gun shoots all the farther. So I, 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 I started by liking this. I, like, I didn't like the music. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The music in this oh. game is awful. But I like that they were thinking this through. Okay, you're going to pick one of these two warehouses or where, t- one of these two types of buildings. Warehouse is way better than the skating rink. Um, and then you can sort of set your level of difficulty. So I, I thought it had, again, 
tons of promise absolutely does not deliver like you can get to them all relatively easily it the controls are kind of janky and yeah it's the case that the stun gun the stun gas i like the fact that it's kind of non-violent again kind of cool we're playing these games where you're not killing stuff and i'm okay with not killing things <laughs> but the when you stun one of the i guess they're cops I, I i agree that they didn't seem like spies it should have been spies but they seem to be policemen so when you shoot a cop then that you just stun them, but then they become a, a, a block in right. a sense. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times there's only one path you can take places. So if you stun them, you can, you, you've sort of destroyed yourself. And so it's not necessarily helpful to be able to stun at a bigger distance. So I didn't get like, it, so the right away, the potential isn't as good as it could have been because you're going to shoot really far. Oh, maybe that'll be terrible. And so right away, it disappointed me. Like you get in there and realize the bonus you're getting for having worked harder on the first screen doesn't necessarily help you. Well, and to make matters worse, the, the sleeping gas stunned, whatever uh, cops are not a block to the pursuing cops. So they can come right through them to get you. So and I, I sort of get why they did that because you can trap yourself between two cops and you can't get out. Uh, so if the pursuing cops couldn't get through to you, the game, I guess, would just continue forever at that point. They should have let you go past the stunned cops or because you do tra- tra- trap yourself or you shoot one in a hallway. They never fade away. They should eventually I, get up or something. Yeah, and I was going to say that's, and, you know, they should get up or, or wake up or something. Because but normally it just releases another st- when you when you stun one, like in the skating rink, there'll be two paths around the outside and they're they're narrow. You fill the hallway. Completely. They're, they're one character you stun wide a cop there. Exactly. So if you stun a cop there, you can't go that way. So. And as soon as you stun one, another one is released onto the scene. So there's always, I think, two or three moving ones. So if you stun one and you block a hallway, you've only got the one out of the hallway. If you go there, they'll all come down that hallway. So you have no choice but to try to stun them again. And and it's just, I, I it, there's so many things that would let me down. And then and then the 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 um. I don't think it's the mechanic, but something about the AI, the programming is is bad in this, and that this helicopter is supposed to pick you up at the top. Sometimes just doesn't feel like coming to get you. So you'll make it to the top and you're studying the bad guy. So come and get me cop and helicopter and it will just stay where it is or it'll slowly come over or it'll go backwards or it goes down to the bottom of the screen. Like, why are you going down there? You can't get on it because you'll jump in the blades and it doesn't let you get it from the bottom of the screen. You have to get it from the top. So why would the helicopter ever go down there? It's so annoying. It'd be very <laughs> frustrating. So I would finally get past it and I'd be stunning, just getting piles and piles of cops stunned on top of each other as they come down, waiting for the helicopter and it just wouldn't come. It's highly annoying. Also on the skating rink, another thing is the the stage sucks because your control is so bad compared to the warehouse scene, which I actually really like the warehouse scene. That's the good part of this game. Mm-hmm. You're sneaking past them. I like the flashlight beams. The graphics aren't great, but it's really effective. You see where their beams are. And they, you can lead them. So if you're behind a, a, a big, I guess it's supposed to be a big crates or whatever. So you're behind a crate. If you go to the right part of the crate, it'll always come around that side. So you can lead and guide your, the enemies that are coming at you. So you can guide them to one part so you can whip around the other side. It was really well done. And if they spot you, then suddenly everything speeds up. You can run faster, but they can run faster. And they're coming at you. And it's, it's I really like that part. And that's the only good part <laughs> of this game though. But in the skating rink, there's got this whole ice part in the middle and why it's skating rink. Like was, was it based on a movie or something? I don't understand this at all. And you have very little control on the ice because while you can move, you can't stop until you hit the boards and 
the the police can, however. And so you got to stun them, but they'll get in your way or they'll block the little entrances or exits to the thing. And so stunning them actually creates like a hazard. It can do more harm than good. So if you're in the skating rink where you went to the very top of the first screen to get the the big bonus, the double gas thing, it actually hurts you on this screen. So ah, did not like it at all. Yeah, the, the skating rink was particularly frustrating for me because, and, and maybe this is an artifact of playing on MAME instead of a real cabinet, but it was it was very difficult to get to get the spy to move horizontally. He would move diagonally and up and down, no problem. But trying to line yourself up to get to the exit was difficult. And I get that they were going for the okay, you're on ice. It's supposed to be slippery and a little bit difficult to control. But if you're going to mess with the rules where the cops don't have to do the same things that you do, it kind of you know that that's that's a big no no and. and detracts from the fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Additionally, or, or give say, us an eight way joystick so you can aim right. a little better. Yep. Yeah. Additionally, they say that, um, you know, you're collecting these uh, briefcases and it took me a long time to understand that there was no briefcase in the warehouse. You, the helicopter drops you off, you run into the warehouse and basically you just have to get to the exit where the helicopter is. And that is you getting the briefcase. Right. You, when at the very beginning, you parachute into those little spaces on the right. bottom and you've already got the briefcase. So we've sort of, we're skipping ahead. We're beginning this game past the whole fun part of getting the briefcase. Right. And we're just doing just the escaping. escape part. And then there's that final scene, oh, which is the helicopter, the helicopter flight scene. And it, and it's it also a top down. No, it's not a top down view. Like everything else is a top down view in this game. And it, the helicopter scene kind of isn't because you're taking off from the bottom of the screen and you're looking at helicopters from the side. And yet there's all this debris on screen that's moving back and forth, which are floating trees. I guess they're supposed to be because they look like trees, but they're moving. And I, I, they sort of messed up the perspective because I wasn't sure. Am I looking from the side now or from the top or what? But the idea is you got to shoot out all those little trees and then eventually, there's this helicopter in the very top that's going back and forth. It took me a while to figure out, okay, I guess mm-hmm. I got to f- shoot that. But if you go up to where it is, it'll always shoot you down. So really what you got to do is hang around in the middle of it, try to avoid the floating trees, shoot floating trees, enough of them that they're out of your way. And you sort of make a, make a hole so you can see the side of the screen. And then eventually, the bad helicopter will come down the side of the screen and hopefully down the side of the screen that you've been shooting stuff at. It seems to go the side that you're facing. And then you can shoot down the bad helicopter, and then that is how you, you've escaped. Um, but I didn't – I found the controls wonky. Once I got good at it and I realized what I was supposed to do, I was like, okay, I shoot the screen, I shoot the trees, I hang out for a bit, and then shoot the helicopter. As long as you get in the first shot, it's actually not that difficult. So I started being able to get past it and do a few rounds, um, and it was more that I would die by getting trapped because I stunned cops on, like, say, the – the skating rink level it's more that you'll trap yourself and be in a position where you can't win so that's that's a pain i I didn't like the fact though that uh, you get a big you get bonus points for these trees and so the whole point of the level is to, to shoot them all out of the way so that you can shoot the bad helicopter but by doing that you're also reducing the points you can get so you're you're working against your score on that level so i i don't like that as a mechanic yeah i i found there was a lot of me trying to figure out what was going on in the game. You know, like we talk about one of the great, one of the things that makes these games great, the really great ones is that you can just walk up and intuitively figure out what's going on. Or you can watch an attract screen for 30 seconds and know exactly what you got to do to get through the game. This was, you know, you get into that helicopter level and you're like, what on earth is going on here? Going back to the skating rink thing again, because there's that, that one character wide hallway all the way around it. You start at the bottom in the middle 
my instinct is just to push up and be, but there's a, there's like, you know, the, the block right there, you have to run left or right. And there's a cop that is running right at you. And if you don't, if you don't move immediately, you're dead. Um, exactly. So that a lot it could, of- just by a different level design, if you, if the exit was at the top of the rink and it was you and the police on the slippery rink and you got to try to get out, it could have been great. It's just, it's like they, mm-hmm. they came up with an idea. This is a, a like a, beta version or like a rough draft of a game that could have been a classic if they had just play tested it and made some changes and said okay no this design of this level is not good let's rotate it 90 degrees have you enter the rink from the bottom exit the rink from the top and the police will come in and you slide around and then you know it, it could have been great that i think maybe that's why this upsets me this could yeah. have been a, an amazing totally. game so there's so much potential there it's just frustrating because of, of how it turned out you know i I was reading, I don't know if this was confirmed, um, a few of the... the I'll confirm it. <laughs> okay. A few of the pages uh, talked about, it, it's called 005 because Sega was trying to get a James Bond license and they couldn't. And this was supposed they to be They showed them this game? <laughs> probably <laughs> so. No. It was supposed to be a Bond title and, and they couldn't get it, so they changed it to 005. I don't know how accurate that is, but... I think it's, a, um, it's definitely, the idea is it's a 007 thing. Like, it's clearly... It's a spy, and they're playing on the 007, whether yeah. or not they were going for a license or not. I don't know. Um, and the other thing that I read a lot was uh, the difficulty ramps up incredibly. It was, so for, for the first two areas where you're running in through these buildings and grabbing the, the briefcases, it's, you know, fairly – I mean, it's not super easy, but it's something you can you can get into and play pretty quickly and not die immediately. Uh, and then the helicopter thing just it, – it just kills you. And, and this is – evidence because like there's a few people who have the high score so the high score the, the game stops keeping count it stops at 1,500,000 points and several people have that and then it drops down considerably after those positions to like 80,000 or 120,000 or something like that because because of that that helicopter difficulty yeah i got to the point where i was able to start i find i can do the helicopter level now repeatedly it doesn't right. kill me anymore it's more Something will mess up on the skating rink area. It's the skating rink one that always gets me because you, if you gas a, a cop in the wrong level, you or wrong part of it, you just lose. There's nothing you can right. do, and it's, you're ah, stuck. Do it's not over. like that design. So, yeah, very disappointing. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Sega mostly because of potential. It's yeah. such a, such a such a waste. It's a neat idea. Such a you know, good, I know such a great idea, mm-hmm. and the graphics are okay. Like there's there's nothing wrong with it. Other than, I guess, maybe the the sound. The sound was just, there's this noise, this song. And a lot of people say that the song when you're in the warehouse is supposed to be like the Pink Panther theme. Yeah. It doesn't sound like the Pink Panther theme. But I'm wondering if maybe, like, so many people say that. And I know in Maine, we've talked about this a few times, how on the internet, everyone will just pair it to the same thing they've heard. Mm -hmm. And they just, so you read this exact same sentence all over the place about how it's a a version of the Pink Panther theme. But when you listen to it, it playing in Maine, I'm like, it doesn't sound even remotely like the Pink Panther theme. I think perhaps if you played this on a real cabinet, it would sound like the Pink Panther theme and the sound is messed up in MAME. And I wonder if that if that song part was slowed down, it would sound like the Pink Panther theme. But the timing is all completely wrong for, you know, the, 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 the thing from Pink Panther. You know, you know.
boot this up in MAME, you know, the first thing that pops up is that, that warning that this is not properly completely emulated. So it's that's entirely possible. Uh, Sega built 005 on their G80 system. Uh, they put a bunch of games on that. Um, the G80, uh, SegaRetro.org describes that as being largely identical to the Z80. However, the address A instruction opcode was modified to mangle the address written to, so it was a form of copy protection. Oh, um, I did not know that. Yeah, me either. Yeah, I know um, Space Odyssey is one of the ones I know as the Sega G81, and I think some of the sounds from that are in this, it seemed. I was yes. recognizing some of the sounds. So there are several raster games. Um, as you mentioned, Space Odyssey, and there's 005, Astro Blaster, Monster Mash, Pig Newton, and Sinbad Mystery, and there are also several vector games based on the G80, the Battlestar, Eliminator, Space Fury, Star Trek Strategic Operations Simulator, TaxScan, and Zector. Okay, um, so those are all the converted game games. So it must be that the converted game systems were on this Sega G80. Because, like, this is the raster scan converted game. So you could, like, the whole point is they promote it as, you know, you can quickly swap to a different game yeah. later. Mm-hmm. And then there was the XY converted games, which were basically, like, Space Fury and stuff. It was the vector version of the converted game system. It would really depend on the type of monitor you had. Um, so interesting. Okay, so I hadn't really, I never really in my mind had realized the G80 stuff was the the converted, converted game system from Sega. Cool. The, uh, the <clears throat> Sega Retro also describes the general board um, specifications. It's a single board running the modified Z80, which is the G80 running at 3.867 megahertz. Uh, uses uh, some combination of the following for sound, depending on which game. Uh, <laughs> either pure discrete sound, it could use a speech board with an Intel 8035 and a GI SP0250 speech synthesis chip, if that was required, and or a USB board. I assume it's a different kind of USB uh, with an Intel 8035 and a hacked up tone generator for timers and DACs for volume. Well, maybe that's not. Mm. Uh, resolution is 256 by 224. And like I said, it's a single board game. Is there anything at all interesting about the cabinet? Not particularly. Um, control panel is kind of cool. The The cabinet itself is really just a generic wood grain. I do like wood grain, but the generic <laughs> Sega wood you grain. Love me some wood cabinet. grain. Cut the uh, vertical mounted monitor. Um, all the art was stickers. So I guess Ugh. with the idea that you could replace them wow. instead of painted art. So you'd peel them off and put on new stuff when you got a new kit. Uh, for the most part, though, these things generally wouldn't even have side art. They would just have a marquee and a control panel, and that's what would sep- separate it. Mm-hmm. Um one thing about, I noticed about the cabinet, though, reading about it, it was pretty heavy. I mean, I think the the manual says it's 380 pounds or something, so very heavy for wow. what is, from the look of it, just a normal generic 1992, or 1982 cabinet. So I don't know why it is so heavy, but there's something about this thing where it's built solid, I guess. The um, there, was a, there was a cocktail version as well, totally generic. What I like about the cabinet, really the only thing that stands out about the cabinet is the control panel. It's got a cool control panel. And being a converted game, like that's one of the things you would get with it is a, is a new control panel, essentially, along with the game. And it had, you know, it, the G80 was the idea that instead of like a one single PCB that had everything, the whole idea was it would be a bunch of plug-in cards. So they could release new games and you would just swap a few cards and, and it'd be a lot cheaper to upgrade to a new system. The control panel is kind of cool because it's it's a nice blue color and on the front of it, like the part that's uh, facing the the player, that's where the start player one is player two start buttons are. So the face of the control panel just has the four way joystick on the left and is not ambidextrous. So four way joystick on the left and a button on the right. 
the weird thing is it's got in the center of the control panel uh the, the art shows a big that attache case a big briefcase opened up and inside it you see um a camera and gloves and money and a rope with a grappling hook so this must be the stuff you were using to get in not the stuff <laughs> you get why you would steal the stuff i don't know but on the left hand side it shows the helicopter with your your fellow hanging from it and on the right hand side it shows uh, the gun shooting a stun gas and stunning somebody but because you've got that big attack attache case i'm gonna say briefcase that big briefcase <laughs> in the center to show off that art they've moved the the joystick and the button you're interacting with out past those so they're out sort of wider than shoulder length so if you stand in front of this cabinet you would have your left hand on the joystick your right hand on the button and they'd actually be splayed outward and so it's like a reach to the side it's really kind of bizarre the placement is basically like, imagine it was a two-player game and you'd have a joystick on the left for player one and a joystick on the right for player two. That's how far apart these things are. So it's kind of, I can imagine it, it's a weird experience playing this thing just because they're so spread out, but it gives it a unique look. I really like the colors. I like this big briefcase graphic. So that part is unique and interesting, um, but it's, I think it would be awkward to play ergonomically. Oh, what might have been. Indeed. I have a problem with, convert a game as a philosophy because I hadn't really thought about this before. Um, but I get the idea that you, know, these things were very expensive. People maybe drop a couple thousand dollars. You're, you're an arcade owner. You can spend a few thousand dollars to bring in one of these games. And what if it doesn't perform or after a while people get bored of that game and they want to play something different. So the whole notion of converted game and the, and the other systems that different manufacturers had w- would let an operator swap it to a new game at a fraction of the cost of purchasing an entire new game. So I get the idea behind that. And that's, I guess, kind of positive, but at the very heart of this idea is the notion that this game will need to be replaced. Like that is like, it's a game that you play a bit, you get bored of, and it gets replaced. The philosophy starts by giving up the entire idea of even trying to make a lasting classic. I mean, sure, Mm -hmm. not everything is going to be Pac-Man or Space Invaders, but the whole idea of Converted Game is to knock out disposable games that will be replaced cheaply in short order. And I think it's the kind of thinking that leads to shovelware, which is exactly what happened, you know, the year after this in the the home systems. I think it's a dangerous philosophy. No restaurant that offers a smorgasbord an all-you-can-eat restaurant never has the greatest food ever because <laughs> the philosophy behind it isn't about maximizing the dish it's about maximizing quantity so right. the philosophy behind convert a game maximizes game churn and if there wasn't a way to do that if a game like say let's say the only way to install a game in an arcade was to cement it in Arcade owners would be very picky about the games they put in. Manufacturers would have had to been very picky about the games they make, and they would have had to make games that last. That would have been unfeasible, obviously. But I think there is a danger to convert a game, that, and it played out in real life in games like this, where instead of saying, we have a great draft of a game, a great idea of a game here, but the individual execution is not good the the sounds a bit off the controls are a bit janky the the one level is just too easy to just get trapped in and play testing would have shown the problems with this game another round another draft another few iterations of the game six months of play testing to polish it could have made a game that everybody knows and everybody still loves and talks about 
But the philosophy behind this was, they'll pump it out, we're going to put it in, they'll play it for three months, and then we'll release another one for cheap. And that did a disservice to the game. And so we're now instead talking about a game that I played, was disappointed in, and will forget about. And that is the end result. Because 500 years from now, we're all dead. <laughs> and so why not, not spend the time? Well, okay. <laughs> well, we're all dead because of you. And well, there's that. Yeah. So why not spend the time to make something that lasts? Like not everything can be perfect, but you could, how many games, like people who made these games, how many did they ever do? Like most people didn't knock out 50 games. You're a game developer in the eighties. You, you got your, your name on three or four or five, if you were lucky. And one of them ends up being this, like it's such a wasted opportunity. It's just, I don't know. The game just really disappointed me. And converted game is now a philosophy I don't like. <laughs> I, I do agree with all of that. I I see why they did it. Um, you know, you, you've got an arcade owner who's got limited amount of space, and he's got to sho- he's you know literally got to shovel the, the the cabinets in and out as soon as they stop making money. He's got to go to to the next thing in order to keep the profits going. You know, and um, at the time there were arcades everywhere, and and you were competing. Um, to, for for quarters and you know if, if you could do it by swapping a board rather than getting than dragging an entire cabinet out i could see why why the the, the operators would want that yeah i don't know I, t- I completely agree like it had to be this way it just disappoints me I, I don't think it's a good idea at all but i think that's i think that's what drove that imagine if instead it was an amazing game and what they did was release new levels for it <laughs> like this game was an incredible thing yeah. and they released a level pack awesome. and instead you pull up and it's no it's no longer the warehouse and the the skating rink now it's two new places it's an underground sewer and a helicopter factory or something and everyone would get really excited and they're just releasing a bit of new code or, there, there could have been a different way to go in in another world with different economics or something i don't know it just disappoints me because I, I i guess I'm, I'm thinking this way because this game had such potential and could have been so amazing and it's and it's such a letdown as it is oh yeah absolutely so go out to your garage carrington jump in your delorean head back to, <laughs> to 1980 or so and tell them the way that they should have done this i'll tell them the way they should have done it i'm gonna fix this world <laughs> Should we talk about scores? Since um, we did both sure. actually play this thing. Yeah, we can. I did okay, I think. Um, I'm feeling good about my score this week because uh, I did pretty well. In fact, I did well enough that when we were chatting early in the week, I even sent you a tip by text that said, Here, that. here's what I've learned about how to get past the uh, the helicopter level. Um, because I was feeling confident. Because I was like, I, I'm, I'm feeling good. Because um, I think a lot of people have struggled to get through this. And I was able to actually get through the, all the levels a few times. So best I did this week was 52,770. So 52770, which is, you know, I don't know, four or five times, I think, through the whole thing. So I did, I think, quite well. I'm very pleased with my score. How'd you do, Mike? I hate you so much. As you should. I'm very hateable. I bring it out. You are. 51,650 points. So close. So close. I'm awesome. No, you suck. That is the lesson. No. (laughs) Converted game is bad. Carrington is awesome. (laughs) These are the takeaways from this podcast. Go me. Very angry. And I give give you a tip and all. (laughs) <laughs> and I still couldn't. I was confident that that like you had you had had hamstrung yourself, and I was going to defeat you at the last moment, but with your you know, hoist you on your own petard or something, um, and I failed. And it's your fault. I've been called a petard a few times. Um, overall, top five favorite for you? Did you own this cabinet? <laughs> this isn't even bottom five. This is like below bottom. I, I, no, I don't think so. Like we've played, we've played games that are worse than this. I thought this was. Oh, it was just this game doesn't live up to what it could be. But right. it's not a bad. Game. No, I, I hate it because of what it could have been. 
which yeah, is unfair, exactly. but but it was just every time I I hit the hit the coin button, it was just I knew what was coming, and it was nothing but and the music, but the bitterness music and sadness, so long, and crying man. and tears and disappointment. <laughs> and, and I didn't have that, but I, the music was bugging me. That sound, the the thing that's supposed to be the Pink Panther theme, is jarring and discordant, and it just well, sound has got to get fixed in this game, man. And it's it's possible that that's what's not properly emulated yet. I don't know. It's possible. All right, Carrington, what are we playing next week? This game again. We're going to play 006. Awesome. <laughs> What's it sound like? That doesn't sound like 006. It sounds like 006 and a half. Oh, sneaky, I, see. Sneaky. I, haven't, I haven't played that one yet. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. No, thank you for listening. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com, and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain.